Please listen carefully. Hello, and welcome to the Oculus Daily's Weekly Roundup. I'm Carissa. And I'm Ariel, and we're working hard to put solutions in view and optimism in movement. Welcome back to our podcast. It's 2024. Yeah, Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, Happy New Year. There's just so much freshness of the new year, a new page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited. There's a whole lot of new starts for me. I'm back in Amsterdam. Yeah. I'm in a new house. I don't know. 2024 sounds like it's going to be good. I don't want to jinx it or anything because I'm pretty sure I said the same thing for 2020. (laughs) But, you know, I'm going to try and stay positive this year. Did you have a nice send-off for New Year's Eve? Did you do anything fun? Yeah, I did have a really lovely send-off for 2023. My grandma's 70th birthday was on New Year's Day, so we were celebrating on New Year's Eve with her. And we had decorated our house at kind of half New Year's, half happy birthday stuff, so that was fun. And my aunt and cousin had come to visit as a surprise for her, so she was very thrilled with that, and it was really good to spend time with all the family and yeah, we just played games and had some really good food. And so it was a really nice little way to send out the year. But what about you, Ariel? I had a very low-key New Year's. Both my sisters were elsewhere. The 19, or maybe she's 20 now, the 20-year-old was out with her friends. And our middle sister, 26-year-old, I think, maybe 25. I'm such a good sister. <laughs> um, she was in Boston to celebrate her boyfriend's birthday as well, which was on December Mm -hmm. 27th, and ring in the new year with him. So I hung out with my parents. We played board games. We were over at a family friend's house. And yeah, just caught up with people there because I don't really get to see our family friends very often. So it was just very, very, very low key. And I was more than happy with that. (laughs) Mine was kind of the same way, but there was lots of champagne and that was good but I feel like the holiday season I kind of drank a lot over Mm -hmm. you know just social events and stuff so well funny that you mentioned that because the story that I'm talking about today gets into something that pops up in conversation at the beginning of every year dry January so for those of you who don't know dry January is a month where some people decide to just take a little bit of a break from the booze Because as you mentioned, with all the celebrations, Christmas, New Year's, whatever you celebrate, there's just a lot of holiday drinking. And it's common to start thinking, maybe I've overdone it a bit. Um, Maybe I should take a break. But does giving up alcohol for a month really make a difference? The article I'm going to talk about is titled, Does Dry January Really Work? Unveiling the Science Behind One Month of Sobriety. Hmm. Yeah, I'm curious about this. Yeah, I actually... I'm not doing dry January. I um, I think I had a glass of wine on January 2nd. I totally forgot. Um, and I was like, oh, too late for me. Yeah. But I'm not really much of a drinker anyway. Um, are you going to participate? Um, Probably not either because I also had a glass of wine the other day. <laughs> I've seen people talking about like damp January, a kind of modified version of mm-hmm. this. I also am not really a big drinker either. I'll probably have like a drink like on the weekend because usually it's like in a social setting. Mm -hmm. But um, maybe I'll be a little more conscious of it and attempt the damp January. But for those of us who do want to try, how does it work? Okay, well, I guess I should start off by saying deep down, we know that pounding back the drinks probably isn't the best for us and experts agree so if you're a person that knocks back more than a couple drinks a week then you are raising your risks for cancer heart issues strokes 
not exactly a fun cocktail of health risks. And that the World Health Organization says it's a big red flag to the idea that any alcohol is okay for our health. So does dry January really work its magic? Here's what the experts say. Basically, when you ditch the drinks for a month, your body might throw a few curveballs at you, so some people might feel withdrawal symptoms, but you should just hang in there if, if you're identifying with that right now, because Dr. Dominique Morisano, she's a clinical psychologist, emphasizes the potential for improved mental health during this stage, particularly for those suffering from anxiety or depression. This beginning phase is often associated with a mental glow up, so you'll be experiencing clearer thoughts, better focus, and maybe a little bit of inner peace, which sounds pretty good. Yeah. And then there's the issue of sleep. So when I drink, if I'm like having a bottle of red wine, right. which does not happen often, um, then I always find myself like very sleepy. And that's because Alcohol does help you doze off, but it is also the reason why you might wake up randomly at 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. Going dry for a month might mean smoother, deeper sleep, and then no more midnight interruptions. Yeah. Who doesn't love sleep? And uninterrupted sleep is so important these days, or I mean like every day, yeah. but I just feel like as I get older, it's really harder for me to bounce back from a night of restless sleep. Mm-hmm. But there are actually some serious perks beyond the month. Studies say that taking a break from alcohol might help with stuff like blood pressure, insulin, and it might even lower the risk of certain cancers. Obviously really good uh, benefits. But it's important to say that it's not a one-size-fits-all deal. People who drink alcohol a little bit more in moderation might have an easier time through this. But if you're a heavy-duty drinker, then perhaps dry January isn't really the best strategy for you. It could be that easing off slowly might be the way to, to dodge the worst withdrawal symptoms. But for those of you who are in the thick of dry January right now, Dr. Morisano has some helpful strategies for success. Her first tip is don't swap brews for buds. Yeah. And that means don't swap your alcohol for cannabis. Lonette Rieb, a clinical associate professor in the Department of Family Practice at the University of British Columbia, says that's just kind of swapping one crutch for another and it kind of defeats the purpose. So that is not the move. The second tip is to round up your buddies. So if you didn't start off dry January with a bunch of friends doing the same thing, then maybe you can find people who have committed to that because there's a lot of strength in numbers getting friends on board and doing it as a team makes dry January way more fun. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I have a couple friends who with their other friend groups are doing dry January together. So mm -hmm. hopefully that goes well for them. Yeah. Another tip she has is to keep a diary or a journal. That's because tracking your moods and triggers and wins is like having a, a bit of a personal scoreboard. And it also helps you find your trends and patterns of behavior and highlight your personal progress so you can celebrate any tiny wins along the way. And lastly, if things are really difficult for you during this booze break, then there's nothing wrong with reaching out for professional guidance. That's totally okay and completely valid way to tackle dry January. But I guess to wrap it up, if you're up for some short-term health perks and maybe a long-term lifestyle adjustment, then dry January could be for you. It's more than just a month without alcohol. It's kind of like hitting a reset button for your well-being. So 
cheers to that. I guess like these tips can be applied to any month of the year if you need a reset. I know January is a little bit more dead in terms of the social scene, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean like dry June would be a real challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Over the summer, I know for me it'd be a challenge, but maybe in February for myself, I could try. I'm interested in the damp variety you uh, mentioned earlier. Damp January, dry January, I think all is really good to attempt and just reduce our alcohol intake. So Mm -hmm. as I was saying for me, I already had like a glass of wine or two. And that was because this weekend I had a trip to San Francisco Mm -hmm. um, and just like the Bay Area with my boyfriend. And we were actually thinking about this solution that is on the Optimist Daily this week. So I was glad to see it. We were noticing that the fences on the Golden Gate Bridge were pretty high. And we were like, oh, the last time we were over here, which for both of us was when we were like little kids. We're like, I don't think it was this high. So I'll just dive into my solution, which is called the Golden Gate Bridge Suicide Prevention Nets Finally Installed, A Lifetime of Advocacy Realized. I want to disclaim first that this article involves sensitive discussions about suicide. So if you or someone you care about is struggling, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Support and guidance are definitely available to you. Yeah, I think this solution is a long time coming, as we'll find out, and I think it's a great thing. After two decades of tireless effort, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco now has stainless steel netting designed to prevent suicides, which is a project championed by survivors and families devastated by tragedies there. So Kevin Hines, who miraculously survived a jump over the bridge at the age of 19, spearheaded this transforming initiative. He said, had the net been there, I would have been stopped by the police and gotten the help I needed immediately. Hines, who is now a suicide prevention champion, praised the tireless efforts of a small, determined group that never gave up on this important cause. Since the Golden Gate's inauguration in 1937, approximately 2,000 people have jumped from the renowned bridge. The project, which was approved more than a decade ago, has been repeatedly delayed. But these 20-foot-wide stainless steel mesh nets, located 20 feet beneath the bridge's surface, are hidden from vehicles but visible to walkers. Dennis Mulligan, the Golden Gate Bridge's general manager, underlined the barrier's immediate impact on curbing leap attempts. As the nets neared completion in 2023, the number of jumpers fell substantially from the annual average of 30 to 14, indicating that their effectiveness in preventing suicides while some occurrences happened in incomplete parts. You mentioned that they're stainless steel nets. Mm -hmm. So if someone were to jump, um, I I imagine that would hurt a bit. That's kind of part of the controversies and challenges over this, um, because why they discourage jumpers, they can endanger those who attempt them. As Mulligan clarified, it's like jumping into a cheese grater, so it will hurt. But despite these concerns, there's training programs for rescue operations and attentive bridge patrols to try to reduce these hazards. Mm. Okay. The advocacy for preventive measures, which began shortly after the bridge's opening, faced opposition due to concerns about disrupting the iconic views. The plan for higher fences was met with criticism, ultimately leading to this recommendation of nets. So Yeah, I guess it's a it's a good compromise, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like a different way of effectiveness. But, you know, there were also obviously expenses for this, Mm -hmm. which was also a challenge. And construction expenses rose from an initial estimate of 
$76 million to $224 million as a result of design revisions and structural problems. Oh, wow. There were also legal disagreements between contractors and the bridge district exacerbated the project's financial challenges. Oh, my gosh. Sounds like such a struggle. So it must be a relief for everyone involved that it's over and done with and already implemented. Yeah, definitely. But there's also these debates on effectiveness, as we mentioned, people were like, well, they can still jump and it'll endanger people. And the large cost in this and discouraging determined individuals. But defenders do point to research that shows that restricting access to lethal means reduces the risk of repeat attempts. And families directly affected by these tragedies advocate for nets, claiming such barriers would have stopped their loved ones. Dana Whitmer, who lost her son in 2007, emphasized the necessity of limiting access to avoid impulsive behavior. Despite these debates on effectiveness, I think it certainly doesn't hurt to have these installed. You know, suicide is a very hard topic to talk about, Mm -hmm. but having one less outlet is, as these families and survivors have pointed out, is a little bit more encouraging that it won't happen, so... It's definitely a fair point that some of these decisions people make are impulsive. Yeah. And, you know, just to prevent those ones is already a win. Yeah, totally. Really good solution. I guess we'll see as the years go by how effective it really is. Yeah, nice solution that is finally done and hopefully making the Golden Gate Bridge a little bit safer and better, so... Those were some good solutions of the week, but we do have some more solutions. We'll go over them and give you a little taste of what else we covered this week. So we have China's monumental climate shift, embracing a post-peak era in the coming years. Innovative drought relief in California from toilet to tap. Yummy. (laughs) Insights from a language expert, mastered confident communication in 2024. How Uruguay achieved 98% renewable energy. We also have seven realistic therapy goals to kickstart your 2024 mental health journey. California, a crucial lifeline for medical residents seeking abortion training. Sewage heat, Vancouver's steamy and sustainable energy source. (laughs) I kind of saw these two, the the toilet to tap and the sewage heat story. Yeah, that would have been interesting too. I was going to pitch that we do like a... (laughs) a wastewater themed solution but you know i'm happy that we went with the ones that we went with totally (laughs) and the last story is 10 simple and eco-friendly resolutions for the new year if you want to start your day off right make sure to subscribe to our free daily newsletter to get our solutions straight to your inbox we also have more on our social channels you can find us at The Optimist Daily on all of our platforms, including Threads, Pinterest, you name it. The only different one is X for Ode to Optimism. And we're also a small team of optimists working hard to bring you positive news. If you want to support our mission of putting optimism into the world, we could really use your help. And so click the link on the show notes to find out how. And remember that support doesn't always have to be financial. Even just recommending our podcast to a friend or leaving a positive review on Apple or Spotify or sharing a solution to your socials would be a huge help for us. It's really nice to be back with you, Carissa. Yeah. And we wish everyone a happy new year. And we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Can't wait to be back with more solutions. Bye, everyone.